Hello, welcome to 365 Dates of Travel with Fran. I'm Fran. Welcome to my podcast. The main aim for this podcast is to make you smile from something I say and or laugh at something I did. So feel free to laugh away at me and at my expense. That's what I'm here for. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast where we're all about the stories from the August chapter of my book called 365 Dates of Travel, The Second Six Months, all about the background stories to the stories that are in the book. So extra little bits of information along the way to either make you want to read more or just give you some extra information about what you might have already read. In the August chapter, I have stories from 1994, a trip to Italy as a nanny job, and also to Euro Disney in, obviously, that's in France these days. Well, I call it Euro Disney, a bit more about that later. Um, Then there's also a road trip in 2005 in Lottie. Few other days, bits and pieces here and there, but most of the month of August is about a 2019 trip where I am in America, all the way from LA, all the way across to Rhode Island. There's a few dates from when I was in San Gimignano in Italy, and I was there because I was on holiday with the nanny family that I was working with at the time. So this is 1994 in my early days in England, in early days as as a nanny, and this was my first trip as a nanny. Um, A lot of people used to always say, oh, it must be wonderful traveling the world and get, you know, you're getting paid to travel the world while you're a nanny. And I was like, it's, I hated traveling with the families. I never went for the jobs that actually advertise them as, you know, we need a nanny to come traveling with us or we'll be going backwards and forwards from here, there and everywhere because it's really not that fun. Um, you don't, you're not on holiday. You're still working. You're working 24 hours a day because you are sharing your bedroom with the children. Um, and you haven't got every, you're still trying to do your job, but without everything that you would normally need. So you haven't got your full complement of toys and books and clothes. Um, even just a kitchen, you haven't even got a kitchen. You haven't got a washing machine. If you've got a baby and you're trying to make up formula or, you know, nappies, things like that, it's not fun trying to do all of that when you're on holiday. So it's not a holiday. You are working. You just happen to be doing it somewhere nice, but you might not actually get to see or experience much of it. I will admit I did get quite a lot out of this trip uh, as in like sightseeing wise, but that was because I put the time and the effort into it. I did get to sit by the pool and swim in the pool and things like that, which I didn't get to do back in London, but it's still, yeah, it definitely is not something that I ever did by choice. I travel with the family. So this partic- this was just a week in Italy. The family just went off for a holiday and of course I came along. And so there is a little bit of diary. I only had one diary entry for the whole trip. Um, I don't have a lot of information for this trip. There is that one diary entry and I have three photos. So 1994 was back in the film camera days. So 
if your roll of film stuffed up, you had no photos and you didn't find out until it was too late. So that's what happened to me. I clearly remember putting the film into the back of the camera and I feel I, I definitely have a memory of thinking, oh, well, this sort of feels a bit weird as I was because you have to advance it on. And so I was advancing it on and it sort of didn't really move the way it normally did, but I just kept going and just thought, oh, it'll be okay. And I had about two or three sort of photos before it finally got to number one. And sometimes that's what happened. And sometimes you got a little bit of extra at the end of the roll as well, depending on how you'd loaded it. So I happily snapped away for our week away, (laughs) got all the way through. It was a 36 roll of film. So I got through to the end of number 36 and then I took it home and it hadn't loaded. I opened the back up and the film hadn't actually advanced at all. But bye-bye film anyway because it hasn't been – now it's been exposed and it was all just like (sighs) – Oh, never mind. So I don't know if it was like like at the time I knew the photos weren't coming out. I just kept taking them away thinking I'm going to have these photos forever. But I seem to remember a lot from this trip. And I don't know if it's because I didn't have photos. I don't know if that's, could that possibly be a thing that your memory just kicks in because you know you have no other way of remembering. Whereas if you've got a ton of photos, you're like, well, I don't need to remember because I've got the photos. And photos definitely bring back memories. I've learned that throughout this process of writing my books. But I do often wonder because I have such strong memories of this trip. And this is, you know, this is like 30 years ago. So, but, and you know, you can't always trust a memory, but (laughs) I do feel like I have really strong memories of this trip. So the one diary entry, there's a little snippets of it um, actually direct quoted in the book, but I didn't use all of it. So here's a little extra snippet from the diary (laughs) that I didn't actually include in the book. Has the best ice cream in the world here. The chocolate is heavenly. It's indescribable. It just looks scrumptious. I'm hooked. Joe made Aaron buy us two yesterday. First time round, Katie just had licks off ours, but had her own, a fruit one, the second time. She had ice cream everywhere and absolutely loved it. Kept saying, more, more. The first time she knocked my ice cream and I couldn't get it back. I was quite annoyed, but I couldn't really say anything about it. I feel guilty with them spending money for food, etc. when we were out. But Joe told me not to ask every time I wanted something because she felt guilty. I thought that was interesting that um, so the mother had said that she felt guilty every time I asked for something and I was like, but what am I supposed to do? I kind of like, and that's another thing about traveling as a nanny you don't necessarily, you don't know who's going to pay for what. And sometimes it's, I did learn as time went on, this was, like I said, this was my first time. So as time got on, I got a little bit better at asking and or setting some rules and boundaries as you go about how things work, because otherwise I'm shocking. Like I said, I'm a terrible guest. We've been through this. (laughs) Um, So I don't, I like to be independent, I guess, it's not quite the right what I'm actually going for. 
But I like to know how things are going to work and how rather than sort of like, oh, do I pay for this? Do you pay for that? What should I do? Oh, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Am I, is it okay that I spend my own money or is it? <laughs> so luckily I've been single <laughs> because I think joint finances would completely freak me out. Um, so I've never done joint f- finances. It has literally just been nanny relationship finances (laughs) but I don't enjoy trying to work out who's going to pay for what it's not fun but um, when I was editing obviously I mentioned the word nanny a few times in this chapter and a few other times in the book and I've always written nanny with a capital n because as a nanny like I was a nanny for like over 15 years. And so I consider myself a career nanny. I wasn't somebody who was just happened to be looking after children while they were studying or didn't know what they wanted to do for their life. I was a proper career nanny. And so many people don't take it seriously as a career. And so constantly I was having to explain myself that no, nanny is my job and that's what I'm continuing to do. Oh, but what do you really want to do? No, I want to be a nanny. This is my job. Um, and so making writing nanny with a capital N was always my way of making it. See, it's a real job. It's serious. Take me seriously. It is a proper job. But, you know, I had to sort of write the book and write what people expect me to write or follow the grammar rules, which are really annoying sometimes. Grammar rules are just, yeah, they're a pain in the ass. But, um, so I did Google it and technically I'm not supposed to write nanny with a capital N. It is supposed to be a lowercase n, which, you know, didn't really make me feel very good. But a grammar um, article I found about when to capitalize and not capitalize when it comes to job titles and things along those lines, like the rules to follow was that, (laughs) and the sort of like the test that they sort of said to work out whether you would capitalize or not is replace whatever the job is with microbiologist. And it's like, if you didn't feel like you should capitalize microbiologist, then you shouldn't capitalize whatever the job title you were going. So every time I had the word nanny, I would read out the sentence saying, so, you know, I was a nanny on holiday. I was a microbiologist on holiday. And I'm like, well, no, I don't feel the need to capitalize microbiologist. (laughs) Um, So I had to go through and search for everywhere I'd written the word nanny and turn the uppercase N into a lowercase N. I will admit I did not enjoy that. I took it a little bit personally, um, but that's part of my history after being not taken seriously so many times throughout my nanny career. But the whole microbiologist angle was sort of a little bit fun. And so, you know, have you ever heard of a microbiologist family holiday? (laughs) So it sort of a little bit helped me smile through some of the editing process when I was getting over myself for being offended by not having a capital N. The other story from the same year, so 1994, is when a friend and I, who's also a nanny, (laughs) end up going on a sort of a long weekend. You leave on Friday and sort of Friday morning and then come back Sunday evening. So a sort of long weekend to France or Paris. 
And we chose, there was a normal Paris version and there was a Euro Disney version. And we chose the Euro Disney version. And I'm sorry for calling it Euro Disney because it is not called that anymore. It's actually called Disneyland Paris. But in 1994, it was called Euro Disney. So, and to me, I don't think I've actually been there since it was Disneyland Paris. Um, So I've been there two or three times and it will always be Euro Disney. Actually, no, I think it actually changed after this first trip. But Euro Disney is just how I, it just rolls off the tongue. Disneyland Paris does not quite roll off the tongue as easily. So sorry, but I will most likely be referring to it as Euro Disney. <laughs> but um, it was, so it's a very fast weekend. It's, it was very cheap. It's just a bus tour. So you're all crammed on the bus. It's a long drive over the ferry, that sort of thing on the channel, London all the way. So you don't arrive into Paris until sort of late afternoon, early evening. And we had a bus that broke down. So we did not arrive until late evening. And so just that that whole first day put a bit of a dampener on the rest of the trip. So my friend Kate and I, we, we still had a fantastic weekend and we loved Euro Disney and we had no problem at the end of the trip getting home. But when I was writing this, I found um, a letter that one of the girls who was also on the trip had written to us a month or so after we got back. Um, and it was all about how to, there was a sample letter and all these points about how to put in a complaint in order to get a refund or a partial refund, seeing as we didn't actually get everything that we paid for. And I believe she was a lawyer. <laughs> so she obviously knew the wording and so she sort of took role of there was a whole group like down the back of the bus <laughs> you know it's like high school down the back of the bus um there was this big meeting of everybody and everybody's trying to work out you know oh you know we need to complain about this we need to complain about that blah 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 um obviously addresses so back in the day snail mail <laughs> addresses were swapped And she's like, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'll do this. I know what to say. I'll get back to you, blah, 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 blah. And she did send out this letter to I don't know how many people, but definitely I was one of them. And I've still got it with me. I've still kept it. As you know, I keep everything. So it was a bit interesting because I'd completely forgotten about some of the issues that happened um, until I read that. Like I remember Disney. I remember the you know, missing the dinner or missing the night tour after the dinner. I remember being disappointed by the dinner um, and things like that. But I'd completely forgotten how many other little things went wrong. And I think the people who didn't go to Euro Disney, so their sort of day in Paris didn't quite go to plan as well. So I think Kate and I were quite lucky that our whole experience wasn't that bad compared to some of the others. But there was some issue about not being – we didn't end up where we were supposed to be. They just sort of dumped everybody and said, sorry, change your plans, you all have to get out here and find your own way home. So I don't remember the exact what happened, but it obviously didn't affect Kate and myself. We were able to get home just as easily from wherever they dropped us off compared to where they should have dropped us off. But it obviously made things difficult for people who might have been new in town or just, you know, in Europe for like two weeks. And this was part of their sort of trip. 
So I never actually did anything with any of the information and I never got in contact with any of the other people. So I don't know if they did anything about it either. But, you know, such is life. It was just, it was an extra little thing that sort of sparked some memories that I had sort of forgotten. So you never know what's going to spark that little memory and bring back all sorts of extra bits of information. There's a few little odd days here and there for just little bits and pieces of trips. Um, And one of them does round out the another nanny story um, in 1998. And there's a few dates of this story in the August chapter. Um, But there's a whole other, there's a lot more to this story. And you just, in the September chapter, you see me being dumped basically in Glasgow after leaving a nanny job unexpectedly, (laughs) as you sometimes did, particularly back in the early days. And I have many nanny stories, and that's the whole point of what I'm about to get to, is that um, people have been asking me to write my nanny stories my whole life. So one day I will put them all into a book. And so there is a lot more behind what you'll read in my travel book about being dumped in Glasgow and how the whole job (laughs) ended up finishing up. But most of this chapter is actually about a trip in 2019 in America, where I flew obviously from Melbourne to LA. And on the same night that I arrive in LA, so it was a very long day that first day, (laughs) I hopped on an Amtrak train and I literally, well, I made a couple of stops along the way, but I caught the train all the way from Los Angeles to Rhode Island. So I had one train from Los Angeles to Chicago, another train from Chicago. I didn't stop in Chicago. It was just like an hour and a half, two hours sort of layover. Then I went the train from Chicago to Washington, D.C., had four nights there, then caught the train to New York and I had four nights there. And then I caught the train up to Rhode Island Um, where the main reason for the trip started off with a work course that I did up there in Providence in Rhode Island. And I thought, well, I'm going to take the long way. And I loved the long way. I think you all know by now that I like trains. And so it was a wonderful train trip basically across the whole of America. I can highly recommend you do it. And I do love Amtrak's little roomettes. Um, like they, they're made for two and I think two probably is a little bit squishy. But for one, they're absolutely perfect. Um, I love having my own little cabin and you've got the whole big window to yourself and you've got two seats and you've got space for bags. Only a few, a few, ba- a few small bags, not massive luggage or anything, but you've got space for all the loots and pieces that you need. And particularly now, you know, listen to audiobooks and just stare out the window and watch the whole of America go by. I mean, what more could you ask for? All your food's included. So you just go to the dining car for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And, you know, you don't have to think about a thing that whole way. So it was a wonderful trip all the way across. And it was in Chicago where I tried to sort of see where I had my whole first issue in Chicago, where I learnt to sleep on the trains to save money. 
and save having to work out where to go for accommodation and things like that back in 1992. So that was a little bit of trip down memory lane when I had a short stop over there. But the whole trip was just brilliant because even once I got off the train, like I had a fantastic time in DC. There's just so much to see there and I really needed even more time and I've been there before. So it's not like I haven't even been there before. And so some of the things obviously I did again, like you have to go see all the war memorials, all the monuments and and things while you're there. So I have seen them. Obviously, so many new ones have actually arrived since I was last there. So there's always something new to see and there's so many museums. And I've always wanted to go see the Library of Congress. And it literally blew me away. I just, like I knew it was going to be amazing from photos, but actually being there, it is so intricate in all its little designs and sculptures and details. And you just, and I was there, I was one of the first people to get there. That was well planned. I I worked really hard to get a really good itinerary and it was the pre-planning was absolutely spot on and made the world of difference because I got to go to the reading view, reading room, viewing room. Try say that 10 times. Try say that once. (laughs) Um, And I had it all to myself. So I could act as goofily, happily excited as I wanted to and nobody was even going to notice. And I could just find the perfect spot and take photos from every angles and go all goo-goo-ga-ga over whatever I wanted without anyone even realizing that I was there. So go early if you want to see a really good view. Now, Because you also, there's also a tour that you sign up. It's just a free tour. But um, so I was on the first tour of the morning and probably I think it was about 45 minutes after I arrived was the first tour. And on the tour, you actually get taken as well back to the reading room, viewing room. There you go. I did it. (laughs) Um, But this time we were with the tour group. And, of course, it was just that little bit later. And so other visitors who also went on the group tour were also in the reading room. And you could barely move. Like, you could barely get to a spot actually at the window because it was like three or four people deep. I was like, that is so not how you want to experience this room because it is absolutely magical. Now, for all the, you know, Americans out there, you are so lucky because you can just get a library card, basically, and go in and physically be there. Now, us non-American people, we have to go through a little bit more of a process. So, and obviously I didn't do that at the time. Next time I go to Washington, I will absolutely make sure I get myself a reader's ticket. And because I want to sit in that room. Like it's amazing viewing it as a whole, but actually sitting in that room, particularly then and like researching and writing, like, you know, you're going to do some amazing work if you're surrounded by those sort of surroundings and you can't see every how everything works without being physically in the room. So I highly recommend look into getting yourself a ticket if you do like that sort of type of architecture and just those behind the scenes sort of things, because Pretty much from, well, at the time, back, obviously, most of my research was back in 2019, but it sounded like basically any American could 
just go ask for a ticket and you go in and there's a much better entrance (laughs) if you're going directly into the reading room than if you're going into the more touristy areas um, where security lines and things can be a lot longer. Um, But as a non-American, I have to nominate a specific topic to research and sort of, you know, follow through on that. So definitely I will find a research topic for one of my future books that I can go and sit in there and just soak up the wonder that is the Library of Congress. So go see it. Because obviously at 2019, this is August 2019, so the idea of actually starting to write and properly that actually went on to me writing didn't actually happen until November 2019. So I had no idea when I was in Washington at the time or in New York at the time that I was going to end up being or finally get round to being a writer. And so on this same... Um, so while I was there, I also went to, you know, the spy museum and that's just given me so much fuel and information for future books. And so even though I had no idea I was planning on writing, I still was collecting information just because that's what I did just in case one day I started writing. And so I did a bit of research even without knowing that I was actually going to use it one day. But the Spy Museum had so much fodder for future mystery books that I'm hoping to write. And I was really disappointed because I'd spent ages on the website and I'd looked at all the shop and all the sort of products and things that were available. And I wrote myself at a little shopping list. So I'd planned to go and spend money at the gift shop of the Spy Museum. Now, on the list, I had a gnome spy, <laughs> a Jefferson cipher, a pen camera, and a book called The Moscow Rules Book. I really would have liked – I didn't even know what I was going to write at that stage, but, you know, that book would be perfect for the original book that I started writing in 20 – or tried to start writing um, sort of after I'd made the decision to start writing. So – but I didn't even know that at the time. It's like it's amazing how your brain sort of works. But how could none of those things be available? So they sold out of Gnome Spies. (laughs) Apparently it's one of their best sellers and I just think he's so cute and I would absolutely love to put him out in my garden. But it actually made me want to start collecting gnomes after seeing this Gnome Spy. I don't have any gnomes (laughs) currently in my garden, Um, but that one would have gone into my garden, but in my backyard because I wouldn't want somebody to steal it (laughs) and I want to be able to see it a little bit more often. Um, so yeah, so I did try and buy souvenirs and all sorts of fun stuff to play with, but, um, unfortunately the shop was out of everything that I wanted to buy. Like seriously, what are the odds of that? Now, by the time I got to New York, it was pretty cool because it had only been about a year since I would there for the Bette Midler story which is coming up. If you're reading the book along with this, then you haven't quite heard the Bette Midler story, so no spoiler alerts. A spoiler alerts. Um, but so it had only been a year since I'd been there, so it was a really nice sort of easy, relaxed, I know how everything works, everything's good. And But I was very specific in a lot of my research um, and I was trying to work out if I should buy a like a 10 ticket pass on the subways or just buy individual tickets like how many times was I going 
to use the subway. I was trying to work that out before I actually got there so I knew whether it was worth buying individual tickets or not. And so, you know, I call that quite extensive pre-planning, but it just (laughs) – one of the reviews of the first six months book said that they were frustrated by my lack of planning I mean, seriously, did you actually read the book? <laughs> I she Maybe she gave up after the first stories in 1992. Yes, I did zero planning in 1992, and I admit that. But I also admit that I was young and dumb, and I had no idea what I was doing about anything and everything. So, of course, I didn't plan. Um, but I plan every little thing now. So, yes, I don't know if this reviewer actually read the whole book, but she said, I'm a planner, and I got really annoyed because she didn't plan very well. It's like, really? That's what annoyed you? So you can't please everybody. I've learned that big time um, <laughs> with writing my book. It's, reviewers can be quite funny. but luckily I don't let it get to me because half the time I'm like, did you actually read the book? Because based on what you're talking about, I don't think you know what you're talking about. So that's, I sort of found that quite interesting because I do plan literally everything. And like, you know, how could you not see that in the book? Has she not heard of my travel Bible? It's in the book. Okay. I shouldn't go on about that. (laughs) But yes, I was young and dumb. In 1992, and I didn't do planning, but definitely by 2019, that trip was planned within an inch of its life, and I absolutely achieved more than I would have if I hadn't planned. Um, But that took, you know, it did take a few years to learn all that. But like I said, I was young and dumb. (laughs) But you don't stay young and dumb forever. Time passes, and we all grow up, and we move on, and we learn along the way. So, Hopefully that girl um, will (laughs) learn that, you know, I did learn how to plan my future trips. (laughs) Um, So also in the August chapter, it was so – there was a sneaky little trip in 1993, which I didn't mention earlier, and that is – so it's just a single day that I went to Buckingham Palace and it was the first year, first time Buckingham Palace had ever been open to the public. And so I thought it was like the biggest news, the most exciting thing ever. I had left my nanny job, like I said, as you do sometimes, um, unplanned and unexpectedly, whether or not you have any money. (laughs) Um, And so I was a poor unemployed nanny at the time in between jobs when I was still finding my feet in the nanny world. And But it was perfect time then during a weekday to go line up for Buckingham Palace. Because, again, this is the early 90s, so technology has changed. There was no online sales. You literally had to line up at the kiosk and buy your ticket. And then everything was timed tickets, so you just got the next available time slot. So if you weren't there by a certain point of the day, the time slots were already gone. 
So we definitely got up early on a weekday after we'd already seen the lines that were, they were extending all the way down the mall. So that's how long, because everybody thought it was a temporary thing. It was only meant to be open for long enough to pay back or cover the cost of repairing Windsor Castle after the fire, because there was a big uproar um the public didn't feel it was up to them, and I think quite rightly, <laughs> to pay for the repairs on a royal castle or a castle that's owned by the Queen. And so the Queen decided to open up Buckingham Palace, use that money to put into the renovations. And obviously it was such a money-making venture. Why would you give it up? <laughs> so we thought we were exclusive. I was there like the third week it was open. So it was very new, very exciting. I just thought, how lucky am I to be in London at the exact time that Buckingham Palace opens for the first time. So I just thought it was, you know, kismet it was meant to be. But obviously now everyone who goes to London can go see it. (laughs) But at the time it felt extra exclusive. And, you know, I said we were two nannies. We'd both left our not-so-nice families. But we had a bit of a reward in getting to not have to line up quite so long to get tickets to Buckingham Palace. And then the August chapter ends with, it's the start of a trip, so um, it will finish just into the first couple of dates of the September chapter, but it's the further adventures of Lottie the Arcana. Oh, I miss Lottie. She was such a great car and she just had, she just gave you so many choices and opportunities that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have had her. But um, so this is when Lottie and I, um, driving from, it's take two of driving from Melbourne to far north Queensland. So it's a, everything that sort of happened along the way of that trip. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy the Lottie stories because I really did like the Lottie stories quite a lot. Um, but I'm not going to go into too much detail about that trip. I will be, it is one of the stories that I will be reading next week when I do, th- where I read three particular dates from the August chapter. So I will leave that trip um, until next week where you can have a listen to that. And let's day, I'll read out day two from that trip. So there's the full five days are actually in the book across spanning the end of August and the beginning of September. And Lottie has a few little mishaps along the way. Five-day trip, five mishaps. So, you know, that's how things go sometimes. But (laughs) as usual, did I have any idea what I was doing? And the answer is probably not. (laughs) But I think I'll leave it there today. So there's a little bit of extra stories for the August chapter. Um, So don't forget, if you haven't bought the book yet, 365 Dates of Travel, the second six months is the second installment, which covers May to November, and a story for every date that goes in between there. And obviously, if you haven't read the first six months, there's That Goes First. That starts off with November in 1992, when I was young and dumb, and I didn't know how to plan. 
Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, so you've got the first six months and currently we're talking about the second six months, but they're both available now. So you can get the full 365 dates of travel, one story for every date of the year. It's all out there now for everybody to read. And there's all sorts of extra information and photos. You can follow along in all the photos at the website at franheapwriter.com. So there's lots of things on there, including links to the podcast, uh, transcripts of the podcast, photos of the trips, where to buy the books, and little bits more about me and some funny photos of me and just lots of extra information if you are interested. So I'd like to say thank you very much for listening today. Hopefully I will talk to you again next week when I read you some stories. So until next week, I wish for you an interesting day. 